Beloved congregation, Jeremiah 31 verse 1, we read this remarkable declaration that God makes about himself when he says, I am the God of the families of Israel. And so God clearly states there that he is a family God, clearly stating that the congregation of Israel was made up of families, fathers and mothers and their children, made up of his people and their seed. And that emphasizes how very important the family is in God's purposes. That emphasizes how very important our children are, whom God is pleased to grant to us. And all of this will, of course, be powerfully and visibly affirmed also by the sacrament of holy baptism this morning. And in preparation for that, because the Word must always precede the sacrament, because the sacrament derives its meaning from the Word. The Lord's Supper and both baptism and the Lord's Supper are the visible affirmations of the truth of God's Word. So in the sacraments, we do not learn a different truth But in the sacraments, as the Puritans were wont to say, we learn the truth even better. In the sacraments, God draws so very near to us. In the sacraments, God visibly affirms who He is, visibly affirms the truth of His Word, visibly affirms that all of His promises are yea and amen in Christ. And we need to understand But that's not only true for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, but it's equally true of the sacrament of holy baptism. And in preparation for that, we will consider the remarkable passage that we have already read to you. And I want to read again from Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. And there we read God's word in our text. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And so in this passage, we have Christ's remarkable declaration concerning little children. That's the word used in Matthew. There are three parallel accounts. So let me give you those parallel accounts for those of you who are taking notes so that as you review the sermon, you can look at all those accounts. So we find this in Matthew 19, verse 13 through 15. And we also find it in Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. Those are the parallel accounts. So 
Matthew, it says, they brought unto him little children. In Mark, it says, they brought young children. And in Luke, it says, they brought unto him also infants. And so, probably, there were little children, there were toddlers, but there were infants as well. But the point is, Christ here makes a remarkable declaration about infants, about little children. Three things stand out in this text. And again, boys and girls, if you have your Bibles open, again, follow me so you can see where my points come from. And hopefully the older ones will be able to understand that quickly. First of all, he says they are invited to come to him. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Secondly, they may not be hindered in coming to him. It says, and forbid them not. Do not stand in their way, Christ is saying. Do not hinder them. And thirdly, they are included in God's kingdom. For such is the kingdom of God. So three points, three things about this remarkable declaration. Children are invited to come to Christ. Children may not be hindered in coming to Christ. And children are included in God's kingdom. So who were they that brought their children? Who were they that brought their infants to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's one detail we don't know. That's one detail that the Bible does not divulge to us. Most likely, they were young parents who had such a high regard for the Lord Jesus Christ, who so highly esteemed him as a rabbi, that they came to him and desired that he would bless their children, that he would touch them, that he would lay his hands upon them. This was not an uncommon practice. All through Israel's history, beginning in Genesis 48, where where Jacob, where Joseph brings his sons to his father Jacob and asks, asks his father to put his hands upon them and to bless his sons. We read of this repeatedly. And in that Jewish culture of Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for parents to approach a rabbi that they esteem very highly and to ask that rabbi to bless their children. And so these folks here, these parents, who came to Jesus with their children, with their infants, thereby expressed plainly and clearly that they regarded the Lord Jesus Christ very, very highly. It may even be that they were true believers in the Messiah, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must never think that the group of believers, while Jesus sojourned upon earth, was strictly limited to the 12 men that followed him. There were others. We know that Anna and Simeon belonged to those who had longed for the consolation of Israel. So it is very well possible that these parents that they believed in the Messiah, that they believed Jesus for who he was. And therefore, they had an intense desire 
that he would touch their children, that he would bless them. Their children meant so very much to them. And congregation, that is already the first application for all of us. Do we as parents, do we recognize that desire? Is that your desire? Is that my desire as a grandparent to do what these parents did? And that is to bring our children to Christ. Now I recognize we cannot do that physically as those parents did in that day. And yet I want you to understand, congregation, that in a very real way, you will witness that today. You will witness this today as this young couple brings their child forward. And when I, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, will administer the sacrament of baptism to their, their infant son. A congregation, sadly, the disciples did not understand this. Sadly, the disciples were so ignorant about the character of Christ that they thought that their master could not be bothered with such trivialities, that their master could not be bothered with having children being presented to them and to bless them. And so in their blind zeal, again, they did something that was offensive, that was so offensive to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we will see in a moment. Earlier, in their zeal, they had asked their master to bring fire down from heaven upon the Samaritans, because the Samaritans had not treated them well. And then Jesus already rebuked them, and he said to them, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. And this is especially true here. And the language that especially Mark uses is very strong also in the Greek. Christ was very upset. He was very displeased. He was emotionally engaged. This so offended him when those disciples were trying to prevent those mothers, those parents from bringing their children to Jesus. And he was so displeased, so displeased because the disciples profoundly misunderstood who he was. They profoundly understood the very nature of his ministry. They profoundly misunderstood how very significant children are in God's purposes. Now granted, in this particular history, Christ is not baptizing them. But that's not the point. Our forefathers, without exception, have always referred to this passage to highlight the significance of the sacrament of baptism in light of this history. Because what this history illustrates very clearly and very plainly, how very significant children are in God's purposes. It emphasizes what an important place our children and our young people have in the family and in the household of God. He was extremely displeased. Because what they were doing, 
in their blind zeal. They were misrepresenting his character. They were misrepresenting his mission. They were misrepresenting the very character of God. A congregation, that is a very serious transgression. That was the transgression of the friends of Job. You know that in that final chapter, chapter 42, when God summons the friends of Job and Job himself to appear before him, what does God say? What does he say twice? He says, you have not spoken concerning me that which is right. You have misrepresented me. That's quite something. Because when you read the book of Job, those friends said many true things that were true in and of themselves. But they placed those truths, they placed them in a context that amounted to a misrepresentation of the character of God. A congregation. There is no greater transgression than to misrepresent the character of God. You know how offensive it is when somebody misrepresents you. When somebody casts aspersions upon you and upon your character. What must it be when God's character is misrepresented? And those disciples, they meant well. But in their blind zeal, that is precisely what they were doing. And so Jesus speaks with strong language to those disciples. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And that word is used in all three of the Gospels. A congregation, this is not just a, a recommendation. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Christ commands these children to be brought to him. Suffer these children to come to him. But it's also a very lovely word. Because it, the word conveys the idea, encourage them to come to me. Encourage them to present themselves to me. Encourage. Encourage these parents to place their children in my arms. Suffer them to come unto me. A congregation, in those simple words, come unto me. We have the heart of the gospel. In those words, Christ communicates why he came into this world. Christ clearly communicates that the reason he came into the world and he walked among the children of Israel, the reason he proclaimed the word of God to them is that they would come to him. Oh, that invitation to come to him, is woven all through the word of God. We find it in that remarkable gospel invitation of Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye, come to the waters, come and eat bread. Come without money and without price. Jesus uttered that invitation in Matthew 11, verse 28, when he said to 
a troubled people of Israel who were weighed down by the bondage of the false teaching of the scribes and Pharisees who hindered them from coming into the kingdom of God. To those burdened souls, he said, Oh, come unto me. Come unto me at once, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the very last gospel invitation of the Bible in Revelation 22 The word come in verse 14 is stated three times. Come, that is the simple and yet profound invitation of the gospel. That's what Christ desires. His desire is that we would come to Him, that we would come to Him as we are, with our sin, with our guilt, with our corruption that we would come without delay, and He desires to know. And that's the whole point here. He desires to know what a willing Savior He is. He desires us to know how it delights Him when we come to Him, how it delights Him when we respond to His Word. Oh, suffer them to come to me. Those words are so profound, congregation. Because we have to realize also this morning that our children are sons and daughters of Adam. We will confess it when we also read the form for baptism. Our children, this little boy, they are born and conceived in sin. We need to realize that this baptismal font, that the sacrament of baptism is in the first place a reminder of the fact that we are fallen sinners. There would be no need for this sacrament if it were not for the fact that we are fallen sinners. And the opening paragraph of the form states clearly that because our children are born and conceived in sin, they are subject to the wrath of God and that they will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. A congregation, when we consider our sinnership, when we consider the fact that these children were sinners and that our children are sinners, God could righteously say, forbid them to come to me. Because God is holy and of purer eyes than to behold evil. We need to understand that sin is utterly obnoxious to God, utterly offensive to God, even the sin of our infants. Because that little boy looks so innocent to us. But he is not innocent. Our children are not innocent. God sees them as sinners. And yet beautifully, Christ, as the living Word of God, Christ, as God manifested the flesh. That's who is speaking here, congregation. This is not mere, a mere a man who is saying this. This is not a, a rabbi who is saying this. This is Emmanuel. This is the Son of God. This is God manifest in the flesh. Here we see the ultimate revelation of who God is, the ultimate revelation of His character in His only begotten Son. It is God who is saying to His disciples, move out of the way and suffer 
Suffer and encourage those children to come to me. Suffer them to be brought to me. And that, that emphasizes an important point. And that is what the sacrament of baptism affirms every time. Is that our children, our infant children, need salvation now. Salvation is not some future blessing that is reserved for adults. Our children need a Savior the moment they are conceived in their mother's womb. Born and conceived in sin. And the beauty of the sacrament of baptism is that God visibly declares that he is willing and able to be the savior of that, of that little sinner, of that infant sinner. The sacrament of baptism. And that's why it's so important that this sacrament is administered at the beginning of life. That's why the sacrament of baptism is so consistent with the word of God. It is but the New Testament perpetuation of what God established with Abraham in Genesis 17. It is God's revealed will that at the very beginning of our life, the truths of His Word are already stated. How amazing for all of us who have received that sacrament of baptism, that before we were conscious of it, God already affirmed the gospel, the gospel truth. God already affirmed that in Christ, He is willing and able to be the God of fallen sons and daughters of Adam, that He is desirous to be reconciled to that child. That's why our children are called by their name. That's not a formality. That's not to inform us what the name of the baby is. No, that's a very significant moment. At that moment, God joins his triune name to the name of that sinful child. How utterly amazing. That shows you the very purpose of God's covenant. Because what is the goal of redemption? What is the purpose of redemption? Is to bring us into a restored relationship with our triune maker. That's why when Jesus gave the command to baptize in Matthew 28, it's significant that in Greek it says that you, we must baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In other words, emphasizing that the whole purpose of baptism is to bring sinners into a special relationship with God. And the baptism of this child will be an affirmation of that. The form of baptism says it so correctly, that we baptize our children as members of his church. That needs to be understood as members of his church. Our children, by virtue of belonging to this covenant family, to this spiritual household, are born into the church as members, and as such are baptized to affirm This is an affirmation of their membership. And so when our children make a public confession of faith, they don't become members. I will will do my best to eradicate that notion while I'm here. No, they don't become members. They are members. They become professing members. 
This little boy will be a baptized member of our congregation until the day comes where he can assume his own responsibility for that membership and will become a professing member of the congregation. And so when Christ says here, come to me, in that simple statement, he unveils the heart of God. He unveils the very heart of his Father. And now, something follows that's significant. Because not only does he say it positively, suffer the children to come unto me. In other words, you must encourage your children to come to me. So let me, let me emphasize here something that's so important, not only for Nick and Jessica, but for all of us. If you ask yourself, how are we to raise our children? What must we tell our children? We must encourage them to go to Christ. That's it. Suffer your children, suffer the little children, suffer them to come to me. That means congregation. We have the sacred obligation that we've taken upon ourselves when we made our vows to teach our children as soon as we possibly can about this Christ. That we tell them about this Christ. That we tell them who He is. That as, as early as we possibly can, we tell them the reality that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. And so parents, we, don't do, we, ha, we have not done our duty by, by merely telling our children to pray for a new heart. Too often people think that, that that's all that we can do. No, Christ is saying, you must encourage them to come to me. So if your child were to ask you, but mommy or daddy, well, how do I do that? How do I come to Jesus today? You have to explain it to them. I, I hope they would ask you that question. I hope they would ask you that question today. And of course, we cannot come to him physically. But you have to explain to them, as little as they are, go and bow your knees and pray to this Jesus who is saying, I want those children to come to me. I want them to seek me. And you must encourage them to do so. You must bring them to me. You must encourage them to call upon me. You must encourage them to seek me. You must explain to your children who I am. You must explain to them why I came into the world. You must explain to them that I came to save sinners from their sins. You must explain to them that they need me. They need to be saved by me. So our training... Our religious training must revolve around the person of Christ. And again, it makes sense. If he is the living word, that means when we teach our children the written word, that's what we are called to do, then we must necessarily arrive at the living word, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must instruct our children and we must urge our children to go to Christ without delay. 
And we must do so as early as we possibly can. And don't be afraid that somehow our children will misunderstand. You will be surprised what little children understand if you teach them faithfully. And parents today have a a vast amount of materials available that can help them instruct their children very, very early on. A congregation, what this clearly, clearly communicates, that Christ delights to save children. And actually, we should expect that. If God declares at baptism, I am your God and the God of your seed, we should expect God to work savingly in our children, not at some future date, but we should expect it even while they are young. The Dutch divine Wilhelm was a brackle. He could say that he could never remember a moment in his life that he did not love the Lord Jesus Christ. He feared God from his youth. So did Obadiah, so did Samuel, and so did many, many others. Somehow we have this wrong notion that, that conversion and salvation is a future event. No, Christ says, you must encourage little children to come to me. And then, of course, we must not expect our children to express their faith as an adult. We must ex- expect them to express it in childlike language. And I remember how I myself was put to the test. When my four-year-old daughter came to me and she said, Daddy, I love the Lord. Now, there was something in me that wanted to give her a theological discourse about what that all means. But I realized at that moment, I had to take her at her word. And so I simply said, I am so delighted to hear that you love the Lord. But you know, children that love the Lord also obey the Lord. And they also obey their parents. So I made the connection. But I could have squelched it. I could have squelched it in my zeal. And I would have, I would have hindered her. Now, am I saying that that was Already saving grace? That's not for me to know. But Christ says you must encourage the little ones. Encourage them. Encourage them to come to me. Encourage them to seek me. Encourage to, and, and teach them to call upon me. Teach them to cry out to me for the salvation of their soul. And do not forbid them. And again, he uses strong language here. You know what he's actually saying? In in Greek it says, stop forbidding them. Stop hindering them. So Christ is very intense here in his prohibition. Forbid them not. Congregation, what a sobering thing it is that we can actually be hindrances to our children. That we can stand in their way. So what are some of the ways in which we can hinder our children? Well, first of all, of course, if we do not instruct them diligently from the Word of God. We will be reminded again when we hear the vows that are made. 
that when we say yes, we are committing ourselves to leave no stone unturned to teach our children the Word of God. We will leave no stone unturned to teach our children who this triune God is in whose name they will be baptized. That's the responsibility we have. Parents, this is a time for self-examination. Are we doing that? Are you diligently teaching your children the Word of God? Are you leaving no stone unturned to instruct them? Are you using your interaction with the Word of God? Are you using your family worship to teach your children about this precious Christ so that they would come to Him for the salvation of their souls? Of course, we would hinder our children if we would deprive them of a Christian education. And I'm delighted that this congregation is so committed to Christian education. Because ultimately, Christian education is an extension of our responsibility. Because the responsibility to train our children is ours as parents. And we are delegating that to our teachers. But the primary responsibility is ours. So we can't just think that because our children go to a Christian school that there's nothing else for us to do. God forbid. No, parents, you should, when your children come home, you should ask them, what have you learned from the Word of God to reinforce what they learned that day so that your interaction with them and their education, that they will seamlessly, seamlessly connect every single day. Of course, we also hinder our children if we contradict what we profess by our lives. If we don't live godly lives, how can we expect our children to take the Word of God seriously if we don't take that Word seriously? Because our children, they know who we are. They, they really know who we are, especially when they get older. They know what our real priorities are. They know what we are really living for. What a dreadful thing if we would be the cause of them being offended because of our poor example. We would hinder them. And of course, we also hinder them when we misrepresent God and His truth. And that means you cannot tell tell your children you cannot come to Christ. Congregation. There's a truth there, but there's a truth in their own context. Our children need the grace of God just like as much as we do. They need the grace of God to respond to the Word. They need the grace of God. But woe unto us if we tell them that they cannot come. Christ is saying, you must tell them that they may come. I want them to come. I want you to encourage them to come. I I remember the late Reverend Hoffman Sr. once saying, if you raise your children telling them that they cannot come, don't be surprised if they cannot come. If you tell them they cannot seek, do not be surprised that they will not seek. If you tell them they cannot pray, do not be surprised that they will not pray. 
congregation. That's a satanic distortion of the Word of God. Christ says, you must tell them that they may come. You must tell them that they must come. You must encourage them to come to me and forbid them not. Because if we hinder them, we deprive God of his righteous due. God rebuked Israel in Ezekiel 16, 21 when he said, Thou hast slain my children. We need to understand as parents that our children are in the first place his. God declares his holy claim upon our children. Read Psalm 127 that the fruit of the womb is his reward. Those children in the first place belong to him. And we are duty-bound. We are the custodians appointed by God to raise that child to know the God who created him or her, but also the God in whose triune name they have been baptized. Oh, when we hinder our children from coming to Christ, we're doing devil's work. That's what the devil does. The devil... The devil's goal is to keep sinners from coming to Christ. The devil invents all kinds of ways to keep sinners from coming to Christ. And the devil does not hesitate to be an orthodox devil, to keep sinners from coming to Christ. That's his work. Woe unto us if we hinder them. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 4 and 6, and also in Mark 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. What a beautiful statement. Those little ones that believe in me. That's the essence of religion. That is the essence of true experiential Christianity. So Christ is saying there will be little ones who believe in me. Woe unto them if you offend them. It's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And he were cast into the sea. And then finally, briefly, why? For of such, for of such is the kingdom of God. And so even though this text is not about baptism per se, yet our forefathers always include this passage. We will see it from our form. Because what Christ is saying, these little ones, they belong to my kingdom. I am the God of the families of Israel. And to, to suggest that all through the Old Testament, that this was a reality that every Jew understood, and that suddenly in the New Testament, children are no longer included in the visible manifestation of God's church is a flat contradiction of the Word of God. Nothing in the New Testament remotely suggests that this has changed. And so when Christ is saying for such, and the such here refers to the little children in the first place. For of such is the kingdom of God. He is simply saying these little ones, these infants, these children, they also belong to God's kingdom. They belong to God's church. And that's, that's affirmed. That will be affirmed again by the sacrament of baptism. 
the sacrament of baptism emphasizes that in Christ there is an open door also for this child. You will hear us read in the form where it says when the parents confess that though their child has been born and conceived in sin and is therefore worthy of condemnation, that yet they are received unto grace in Christ. Now, that's often misread and misunderstood. The form is not saying that they are automatically the recipients of Christ. It's simply saying, let me put it very, very plainly, as the door has gone shut in Adam, so the door has gone open in Christ. That's what baptism affirms. That's what our form means when it uses that phrase. And that's why Christ dramatically reaffirms that. This is so beautiful, congregation. Let's look at it slowly. And he took them up in his arms. The Dutch Bible says more strongly, he embraced them in his arms. And the German Bible says it even more powerfully. If any of you know German, it says, er herzte sie. That means he pressed them to his heart. Think about that. He pressed them, he pressed them to his heart, just like we, when we take our children or grandchildren, we just give them a hug, we press them to our heart. That's what Jesus did, and he did it to every single one. Again, the language, we, we don't see it, we miss it in the English, but the language implies he did that one by one. We have no idea how many there were, but he took every one of those children, he pressed them to his hearts, and he put his hands upon them. Those hands that would be nailed to the cross. And he knew that. That's why those hands could bless those children. That's why there is a blessing for a sinful child. Because of a crucified Christ. Because ultimately, there would be no sacrament of baptism were it not for the cross. Were it not for what Christ accomplished on the cross. And therefore, because of that cross... God can be the God of sinners. God can be gracious to sinners because of that cross, because those blessed hands with which he blessed those children, those hands had to be pierced on Calvary's cross in order for us to be blessed. Had that not been happened, had that not happened, there would only be condemnation for the children of men. So he, he presses him to his heart puts his hands upon them, and he blesses them. That's what's going to happen today. My hand, with which I will touch the forehead of that boy, is ultimately the hand of Christ. Because I stand here as his servant, and he will do, he will do what he did there. And he does it in every every baptism service. That's why, boys and girls, it is such a privilege to have been baptized in the name of a triune God. Boys and girls, Christ touched you at your baptism. He touched you with his divine hand. That's why it's so awful when young people grow up and they reject that Christ who so graciously dealt with them at the very beginning of their lives. 
That's why it is true. To be in hell with a baptized forehead will be a hell in hell. Because God has brought you so near to himself. That's why our forefathers said, boys and girls, they said when you bow your knees, show God your baptized forehead. Remind him of what he promised at your baptism. That's a beautiful advice, a beautiful advice to follow. And that is something that he delights. God, God delights in being reminded of his own word. He delights in being reminded of his own promises. And he delights in it. But we show him our baptized forehead. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And of course, I have no time anymore, but there are so many passages in Scripture that reaffirm that. Let me just mention just two. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. Have I ordained strength. Isaiah 44, verse 3, I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. That's God's method. That is God's way. Christ is saying, I am willing to be the Savior of infants. I am willing to be the Savior of little ones, of little children. And therefore, because of who I am, because of why I came, I want you to encourage them to come unto me. That's why, dear parents, every administration of baptism is a reminder of what you have promised. And every administration of baptism is your golden, God-given opportunity to do what you promised to do. That's that you would explain to your children what happened when they were baptized in the name of a triune God. And so may we take the words of Christ to heart. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Amen.